Hello, and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Haematology. I'm Gavin Cleaver, and today we're going to be discussing a new article about doping in cycling. I'm delighted to be joined today by the lead author of the new article. Dr. Herberger, please will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so my name is Jules Heuberger. I'm a clinical scientist at the Center for Human Drug Research in Leiden, the Netherlands. And as a clinical scientist, I uh, am a project leader of different clinical studies that we perform here, and mainly phase one and phase two studies for development of, of new uh, treatments. And so, Doctor, this is a very interesting study. You know, there's, so there's been a lot of focus on professional cycling and doping, you know, not to mention all the ongoing investigations with the Olympics and the athletics. So could you tell us a little bit about the background to your study specifically? How does your work fit into this kind of setting? So our, our viewpoint, first of all, is that substance is only termed doping if, if it's placed on the prohibited list. And that's the case if it meets two of the three following criteria. It, it might enhance performance. It might be harmful for the athlete. And it uh, um, might be uh, against the spirit of sport. And the problem is that currently good data is very sparse. And for almost all substances uh, on the list, there's not much data and hasn't been for a long time. So not many studies have been performed. And the studies that were performed, they have several shortcomings. And this leads to the uh, rules of the World Anti-Doping Agency getting substances on the prohibited list that we know almost nothing about, such as, for example, last year, meldonium. And our view is that one should investigate these matters before they are forbidden, if at all possible. So if there is no effect of the, of the compound, there is no need to ban a substance, and it saves a lot of effort and money. If there is a health risk, then we should inform athletes, and especially young athletes, and our medical staff, and if there is a clear effect, of course, on performance, then we should ban the substance, but then the information that is gained by the studies on effects and detection methods should be uh, used to help detect athletes that are using doping. So we believe that, in short, solid research is necessary in clinical trials for treatments, uh, and that's not different for, for the uh, uh, studies into doping. Um, we should apply the same rules there, and that would then form the foundation underneath the fight against doping. And for that reason, we performed a study looking into the effects of EPO on cycling performance. And so I guess as well, there aren't really that many studies that relate you know, to, to perfectly healthy people. In this case, you've actually done a study into people who are actually at peak fitness. Yeah, so they, they are maybe even more than healthy. Yeah, they should be very well-trained. Of course, as in regular studies, where you look for treatment of a certain population, you would like to do the research in the population that you want to eventually give the treatment in. So in heart failure patients, you want to uh, want to test a, a treatment against heart failure. In this case, we want to test in, uh, in cyclists that are as well-trained as we can possibly include into the study. Of course, and so you looked at athlete performance under several different circumstances. You've got maximal effort, sub-maximal effort, and a road race. So why was it important in your study to look at these different kinds of effort? Yeah, so we, we indeed did different tests for performance, and usually in clinical trials you would want to know the effect on a certain clinical outcome, for example, heart failure. Um, and in this case, that's, that's the same. We want to know something about the clinical outcome of performance, uh, cycling performance more specifically, and ideally you would want to measure that outcome, but of course you can use biomarkers to predict the effect on the clinical outcome. But in order to be able to do that, the biomarker needs to be relevant and, and related to the clinical outcome. And for that reason, we perform different types of tests. 
because they depict different aspects of the clinical outcome performance. So, for example, we perform the maximal performance test that says something about maximal effort and reaching exhaustion. Of course, we know that in cycling, cyclists do not often perform at that level because they need to reach a finish line before they reach exhaustion. But it does tell you something about performance. Uh, but maybe a more clinically relevant test is a submaximal test, which mimics a time trial, which, uh, as you might know, is an important part of a multi-stage cycling event, such as the Tour de France. And there, cyclists have to perform at the highest effort level they can um, for a longer period of time without reaching exhaustion. And often that's more than 30, 30 minutes. So we performed a time trial-like test of 45 minutes. And then finally, of course, these types of tests are in the laboratory which is not exactly the setting in which cyclists perform in real life. So for that reason, we also included a Tour de France-like stage as a test where subjects climbed the Mont Ventoux as fast as they could, and uh, we measured their performance there. And with these set of different tests, we felt we could best evaluate the effect of EPO on cycling performance and the actual clinical outcome of performance in real-life cycling. And so the big question, what does your study show, and what does that imply? So the study shows that EPO has an effect on maximal exercise test parameters, uh, but it does not improve performance over placebo in a submaximal time trial-like test, and uh, it also does not affect more than two race time. And so uh, in addition to that, we found that it did not clinically have an impact on, on the health of the subjects, but we did find uh, several markers of endothelial function that were increased, which might indicate um, an increased thrombogenicity in these uh, treated subjects. Uh, so, what would you say are the future steps for your study? Like, what's the uh, what's the future of this kind of study? I think that because our study shows that it is possible to do clinical trials looking into the effects of doping, uh, I think this this could be used as a as a sort of model study to be used for other doping substances as well, because you see with these results that um, there is an effect on maximum exercise performance, but the effect is absent or very small at best on more relevant measures, such as a time trial performance and an uphill race. Uh, so the performance effects are not as dramatic as always uh, being stated by the individual sportsman, uh, which is actually quite similar to what we see in clinical practice, because you see oftentimes that treatments that have not been subjected to rigorous studies by doctors based upon inflated individual experience promoted, and, and when then finally the double-blind trial is done, the results are often less dramatic, and that's similar to what we see here. Uh, so to show that what the effect is of, of, of the different doping substances, we think that clinical studies uh, need to be performed, and we show here that they can be performed, and I think they should follow for, for other substances as well. Of course, one issue is still that professional athletes cannot be included in trials like these because professional cyclists are not allowed to use doping, of course. That's against the uh, World Anti-Doping Agency doping rules. But we think that it would be necessary to have such athletes in these studies as well because that best translate, translates to, to the actual population. Uh, but that would need a different approach from, from the World Anti-Doping Agency itself. So, Doctor, how will your findings help inform this uh, the athlete biological passport that's currently the biggest tool for catching doping? 
So we measured, apart from performance and safety, also urine doping detection and, and measures of the biological hematological passport. And with this data, we will be able to evaluate the current detection of EPO use, but hopefully also be able to potentially improve uh, the detection because with this data, we will be able to, uh, to look at the passport uh, and the urine doping detection in conjunction and see if we can optimize these tests uh, to be able to pick up athletes that are using EPO as soon as and as efficiently as possible. But these uh, results are coming soon, so we hope to be able to publish that in the near future. Well, what a fascinating field of study and uh, a fantastic paper. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.